welcome along to the COVID Care Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline West, and on this podcast, I chat to care providers who assisted a variety of vulnerable people during this time. The podcast is a part of the Tortoise Shack Network, and if you wish to support the work that the Shack does, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. Today, my guests are here to chat to me about the experiences of sex workers in Ireland during lockdown. Kate McGrew is a sex worker and director of Sex Worker Alliance Ireland. She's also the co-convener of the International Committee for the Rights of Sex Workers of Europe. Joining her today is Adeline Berry, who is a sex worker, researcher, and is currently completing a PhD in sociology. How are you both today? Thank you for joining me. Great. Thanks for having us. No worries. Thank you for having us, Caroline. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. No, I'm really looking forward to our chat because I think this is an area that's left out of a lot of the discussions around the experiences of people during lockdown and especially the people who've had COVID. So I think it's going to be really great to dive into what the reality of sex work was during that time period. Um, Do you want to start by giving us, I suppose, a brief introduction to yourselves and to the work of Sway, which are Sex Workers Alliance Ireland? Sure. So uh, Sway is Ireland's only sex worker-led frontline support service and advocacy group for sex workers in Ireland. So we advocate for the right to safe living, safe work, respect, dignity, self-determination for all of Ireland's sex workers. So we do a a whole host of different work, whatever it is that sex workers need. You know, we'd be signposting to different organizations um, to provide, you know, stuff around housing, um, to help people and they become victims of violence, to help people support um, them through court, linking with liaison officers, you know, uh, we host drop-ins, really whatever it is. We've shown up at illegal evictions. We've, um, y- you know, we, we do a lot of sort of um, emergency actions as well, but then also just working on a day-to-day basis to try and get labor rights for sex workers and to just get sex workers listened to and centered in discussions and decisions about our lives. Um, well, I think you've done a really good job of wrapping it up, but it's it's um, it's really important to include sex workers, considering society is going to continue to keep making sex workers. I mean, we're we're kind of a byproduct of capitalism, uh. and to exclude us isn't really making any sense. And especially when decisions are being made on a national level concerning us without our input, right. it's it's very important. And it, it, these decisions that they've made have been disastrous for the country as a whole but maybe we'll get into that on a, a little bit further in yeah no we absolutely mm. will and mm. i think it's important Adi, to have you especially um to join us today because you identify as intersex and trans and a lot of the narrative around sex work is generally focused on a female sex worker and a male client but so yourselves you probably get left out of the conversation quite a lot well, that's not really an accident. Um, you'll never hear uh, a lot of a lot of the conversation goes on leaves out male sex workers also, and they definitely do exist. And I mean, for example, in my case, uh, not all intersex people are trans, and all trans people are intersex. But when you've got doctors basically doing a coin toss to decide your gender, and then following that with surgery, um, the yeah. chances of them always getting it right are very very slim so um i was i'm intersex so uh 
I basically lost the coin toss and I ended up as a result, I, I'm, I'm trans, I ended up doing sex work pretty early. So that's one of the things that um, led me to where I am now. It's, you know, the long chain of events, but it, 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 we don't really fit the narrative. There's a narrative that's trying to be, that's, that's being pushed. It's part of the moral panic. It's a, basically the, the Liam Neeson taken thing where it's a virginal cisgender white blonde girl who's being captured by bad men and it leaves out the majority of sex workers who are just people trying to pay the bills and you know i mean i'm a trans person who like i moved back to ireland and i was engaged in sex work doing just fine till the police uh, arrested and evicted me and i couldn't get work after that i couldn't even get hired wiping arses for minimum wage um I'm lucky to have found a position over here in the UK. But uh, a lot of us end up doing these things that don't really fall into the narrative that's pushed by the organizations that fight to basically erase us. And that narrative is an interesting one. And we saw, I suppose, a trial run of what the ideology would have liked during COVID lockdown. So this is the idea that the law that is currently there in Ireland at the moment, which criminalises the buyer, and the idea of this is that it will end demand. So, you know, during lockdown, that's probably an ideal situation to really trial this out because nobody was apparently meant to be buying sex. No one was meant to be leaving their house. No one was meant to be interacting with other humans on a very close basis. But I know, Kate, you say that that's actually, that hasn't worked out, that hasn't materialised that ideological state of affairs. No, I mean, it was not surprising to any of us, I think, that um, there were no supports that were sort of magically available to us. We knew that. We, we knew that we don't have alternatives. People on the margins are doing sex work um, because it suits their lives for a number of reasons or because they have little to no other options. And the, the, until the state provides viable alternatives or supports for, for more realistic day-to-day affordable living, it's going to be like that. So precisely, you know, we were talking to sex workers on a day-to-day basis, like, like sex worker organizations worldwide, we were tasked with um, creating a hardship fund, a crowdfunded hardship fund ourselves. And, um, you know, Swarm in the UK did a really fantastic job. So they helped guide us through it and everything. And we were able to do that to, to raise 26,000 euros and to give out to 160 workers, 100 to 200 euro payments. So we were sort of doing what we could to help, you know, quote unquote, flatten the curve. I happen to live in an area where, um, where girls work on the street. So I was out at night and it was really nice that I could, um, that I could give people immediately money and they would maybe be able to go, go home for the night, you know, but, um, but we were talking to people, sure, people were seeing a real decrease in clients, but it was, you know, probably 50% of the people we were talking to were still seeing clients and about 80% of the people we were, ta- we were talking to uh, were still getting asked. And and sometimes being told by clients, if you don't see me, I'm not going to see you after the whole um, pandemic is over or offering twice the amount of rates and this kind of thing. You know, I mean, the the abolitionist organization in in Ireland received emergency funding from the Department of Justice. And when we wrote in to try and get it ourselves, 
it's precisely that. It was about ideology. They explicitly said to us, for as long as you refer to sex work as work, as opposed to inherent exploitation of vulnerable people, you will not be receiving funding, thereby letting us know Department of Justice is making policy decisions, you know, clearly around the law and funding decisions based on ideology as opposed to outcomes. And it, which is ridiculous because at the end of the day you can argue about ideology all you want and you can be morally opposed to sex work all you want but at the end of the day there are people who are going to do sex work because like the reasons you said they have to put food on the table and you know or whatever the the reason happens to be so the ideology part doesn't maybe factor into the realities of people who are on the street I mean what what a um (laughs) what a horrible ideology anyways if um If the actions you take um, based on it make the very people that the ideologies are, are supposedly to help makes their situation actually worse, you know, it's um, you need to think through your, your ideology of, of what it means, if the manifestation of it means that on a day to day basis, those people are more endangered, more precarious. I think that precarity is really an you know an important thing to touch on. I know, um, Adi, you've mentioned that as well. With you know trying to gain um everybody quotes legitimate employment um and struggling because of other people's attitudes so that experience during lockdown if someone has been working as a sex worker uh, were they able to access i know you were you were denied funding um but were sex workers as individuals also able to access the pandemic unemployment payment no largely (laughs) like overwhelmingly no you know um because our work is quasi legal, people are are generally not signed up as sole traders. You know, be part of the good thing about having our work be decriminalized, brought into sort of a, a, a legal um, sphere. Because people could then um, people couldn't you know participate in the system uh, if you want to look at it that way. In a way, we, so people were not um, were not able to avail of the unemployment payment. We had an avenue. Um, through through for supplementary welfare, but even that was just you know really long winded and 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 not based on policy, but by somebody who was trying to help us um, sort of discreetly. One person who was trying to help us discreetly. So it's just been like pulling teeth, you know, just no government support whatsoever. Sex workers, as usual, taking care of each other, taking care of ourselves. Did you want to say something there, Addy? I feel like. Oh no, just I mean, that's the thing. Like, like, like when you said that uh, when those when that last resort. I mean, a lot of people are in sex work because they really don't have any other options. Mm. And when you lose that one resort, other options do not spring up in their place. Like it's not right. like now that your clients have gone, and there's never been a plan in place. And the people who fought for these laws will admit themselves in their reports and, and articles that came out during COVID during the last couple of weeks. They will admit that none of the resources, none of the exit supports were promised have come into play, even though they've been paid for them. You know, and it's just if you're if you're if you're vulnerable on the street and you're depending on money from sex work, whether the government has us refer to you, how the government refers to sex work, whether it's looked at as exploitation or not, does not put food on your table and a roof over your head. Do yeah. anything to to fill that or to meet that need. Mm. Mm. So the reality for lockdown, when a lot of us were quite privileged in the in the fact that we could stay at home, we had access to the pandemic unemployment payment, 
or sick pay or whatever happened to be. What was the reality like for sex workers who didn't have access to funds? Stress and strain, you know, we were trying to get people to to move to virtual work, but that is not uh, a, a seamless transition like people would think it is. You know, imagine you're living with a partner. Imagine you're living with your family. You know, um, imagine you don't want to put your image out into the world, you know, worried about uh, what happens to it at that point. So for a lot of people, that was not that was not realistic. It's not it's a very different kind of work than than in-person work. So, um, you know, so I mean, really what it boils down to is people had to go back to work. That's what happened, you know. So people this are back is to work. Face to face, yeah. Actual yes. sexual uh-huh. interactions with people. That's right. So, mm-hmm. was this more um, street-based mm-hmm. work? Was it in hotels, or actually, hotels were probably not open at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, again, um, so through all sectors, you know, you're right. Hotels were closed for a while, but pretty much as soon as places could kind of open up a bit, uh, people were there. And again, people are saying that it's been quiet and everything. It's just, you know, what what we've been repeating, what Addie said, people do not have viable alternatives. And so so people are back working. I think, you know, it's been a challenging thing. We've made harm reduction leaflets for both street-based workers and workers in general. And, you know, we did that in conjunction with the Cork Sexual Health Center and GOSH in um, in Limerick. Right. Yeah. So disseminating those and everything. But, um, you know, to do what we can, you know, to talk to people about airing out their room in between clients or trying to keep your faces away from each other and stuff like this. But um, as always, we're just trying to be realistic and give people harm reduction advice. Well, like Kate was saying, too, that it's really not. It's, it's one of those things where none of these are single issue factors. Like the stigma in Ireland is so massive and there's a massive overlap with, I mean, with, with sex work and the stigma. So for people who did want to get into into um online work that was a big factor with friends and family finding out and whatnot so it's 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 hard a lot of people didn't have the technology a lot of people didn't have the money for lighting to get set up um there's revenge born yeah there's also yeah yeah, that's that's i mean i'm sure you're you know we've got but i mean there's a bit of a learning curve involved too it's not like Mm -hmm. you've got some rich people they will hop online and make it look like you can make a billion dollars overnight on, on OnlyFans, but that's just not the reality for most people. And of course, most sex workers, a lot of sex workers were sort of pushed onto OnlyFans and platforms like that. And uh, it basically became flooded. So it, 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 there just isn't the other option, the, the, the other options. And that's one thing that the government does want to reduce the numbers of sex workers, just start providing the resources so mm. people don't actually have to go into it in the first place. Could I piggyback on that, Addy, to say something? Um, So just to say that part of what has been frustrating, again, in in this really stressful sort of emergency or or global crisis, um, the the advertising site, basically the main advertising site that sex workers are forced onto because it's illegal to advertise here. So the one that we, the main one that we basically most uh, 
advertise on because it's based in another country. So they, they, they put up a virtual section for virtual work. But then, of course, because they are a big business and they stand to make money off of our, um, off of our situations, they realize, hold on, we can make even more money on this. And they basically started their own OnlyFans. And when they did this, they, they start this new OnlyFans and they basically cap the, the price that you can charge. Um, and then they promised clients the sun, moon and stars. So basically, and then they said, when enough people sign up for this, they're going to shut down the virtual section on their own site. So you know, here we are trying to be um, trying to be adaptive and creative as we always are. But once again, because we are so limited in where we can advertise, third parties, um, big businesses can come swoop in and exploit our our um, you know our vulnerability at, at this time, you know our, our lack of options at this time, and just drive prices down. That's fascinating because I think a lot of the media discourse around sex work during COVID was, oh, just set up an OnlyFans, it's fine. And it was portrayed as a little bit of a glamorous thing and this like, oh, sex workers are being very creative and and this is great. And, and it was that was really highlighted with the work of Bella Thorne, you know, Hollywood actress who um, basically ruined the system for a lot of sex workers by promising to send out nudes and then she didn't and changed the rates <laughs> of payment and stuff as well. But that kind of glamour uh, and you know oh this is a safe alternative so what you're both saying was actually the reality for a lot of sex workers wasn't that and it takes up so much time I mean to 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 do virtual work you know um those kinds of platforms can can take a lot of time you know that's the thing that's the thing that too about these um the sort of only fans model is that is that it does sort of um create a bit more sort of competitiveness amongst people. So, you know, there's always going to be somebody grinding harder than you are. You know what I mean? Like I tried talking to this, to the main advertising uh, site and I tried saying, look, just let us charge as much as we want. The more money we make, the more money you make, you know, but they, yeah, but you know, they, I think they're just trying to make it more appealing to, to clients really. And then of course they just hefted up this commission uh, charge against us as well. So very and also fun. with the with the housing situation in Ireland too, yeah. is you've got seventeen roommates where you're gonna set up your your camera and your lights and uh you know and whisper not everybody <laughs> I mean, Yeah, like, yeah, whisper ASMR fetish. sex work. Yeah. Well, I mean I mean that's also a thing. I'm right, but, I'm um, making notes. Yeah. notes. And and he's got a new but, career ASMR, <laughs> it's it's my uh yeah. new niche but it's also too i mean if you don't have access to wi-fi things like that street workers i mean what are they supposed to do it's a it's, it's a whole different thing and it's very easy for a journalist if they haven't yeah. tried it if they haven't made porn if they haven't done online work it's very easy to say to talk about how easy it is until you've actually right. done, it, done it yourself it's the reality is quite different and that's yeah. an interesting point that you're raising there about you know if you're on the street like if you're in a hostel a homeless shelter you know you don't have that same privacy that a lot of us take for granted but you also mentioned there are a lot of you know of the housing situation when you have a lot of roommates and a lot of sex workers are migrants and we know that migrants are disproportionately represented in really poor accommodation um you know like you said like a lot of people to a room and very precarious like maybe illegal housing setups and stuff so would would that have been the case because that seems to be 
a precarious living situation and a precarious working situation and then combine those two in a pandemic seems to be you know an overarching theme of precariousness and stress well that's the thing though i mean everybody that's the more secure you are during this whole covid thing the better you're going to fare anyway Mm. so the more marginalized everything just sort of overlaps and comes down on top of you like i mean how is somebody in direct provision supposed to start up an OnlyFans account when they're mm. crammed with like 16 people in a room and their kids in the same room mm. and they're turning to sex work? And then the outcry from, from the big um, NGOs of the government to listen to is, how do we stop the clients rather than how do we stop their need to see them? Mm. You know? mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. So that like that need to see clients really that's coming down to poverty and lack of access to support services. So it's not necessarily inequality. Yeah. So it's not that myth of um, I know this often gets framed, especially in the media, in terms of the binary of happy hooker or trafficked victim. And like what you're saying there is like, you know, maybe a sex worker, it's, they're not into it because they love sex and they're so liberated and they're so empowered by it. They're doing it because they need to feed their child. Or, I mean, if you're living off 3880 a week in direct provision, you don't have a whole lot of options for um, money and supporting your family that way. So the reality then of sex work is a whole lot of different perspectives and experiences. Well, that's really what's happened to Ireland too, that the whole that the government allowed the same NGOs who are literally the only people who profited from these laws um, to conflate trafficking with sex work, and it's been disastrous. It's the, the trafficking in persons report. Um, it's basically a report of how well countries are handling um, the situ- situation in regards to trafficking in each mm. individual country. And three years ago before the law came in, Ireland was at the very, very top. And in only three years, in just three years of our government conflating consensual sex work with human trafficking, because also human trafficking, most human trafficking is not sex work. Mm. Most of it's unglamorous stuff that wouldn't make it into a Liam Neeson movie, like manufacturing agriculture. Mm, fishing, yeah. So it's it's actually a, a much as like I think it's like fourteen percent something like that is like, is sex work. But because all of Irish, the Irish government's efforts and policing efforts have been focused on sex work, it, we have watched Ireland drop down to almost the bottom of, we're on the tier two watch list. We're almost in level three. We're, we've become in three years one of the worst countries in the world for human trafficking. And it's not like the government in, in that time has actually helped sex workers. I mean, the, mm. by... Mm turning their attention on to us, that's just basically meant they've evicted us, me included, you know, uh, arresting, deporting, locking up, like, pregnant, you know, girls in their 20s for working with a friend for safety. It's been an absolute disaster. So it's, a, it's been an absolute disaster for the country, and it's affected more than sex workers. You talked to me there about that, because you mentioned that earlier, that you were evicted for being a sex worker from your home. Well, we were raided, mm. um, and the, the, the thing is, it's called client criminalization, but when we, we sat down, we and Sway sat down at Senior Gardaí in March to address a lot of the issues, like including the 
us having the, the, the basically the contribution of these laws to us having the highest HIV rates in our history. And policing is partially to blame for that. There's a lot of things we want to talk to them about because we've, as part of our own research with Sway and in conjunction with HIV Ireland and uh, the University of Manute, we've been doing research around the country too. And we've been talking to single mothers who've been thrown out of their homes and other people after they've just been evicted. And when we sat down with the Guardi to talk to them about that, and uh, they, they told us rather than stopping evictions, they're going to actually, they, they, they have the funding to hire an additional 75 officers to increase evictions. Yep. So, and they were, they're trying to give us this impression that they're basically these robots who are programmed to obey the law, mm. but it's not true. There are men and women who grew up in Ireland full of the same biases as the rest of us. So when my facility was raided, um, the client was sent on his way. They came in, um, took, they, they asked questions about like, was I trafficking anyone? You know, things like that. They took a lot of pictures around my facility that had basically sank everything in everything I had, like, like an idiot. I sat down with a solicitor first to make sure I wasn't breaking any laws. And, uh, I was assured that. Yeah. I and then, but so they <laughs> sent a client on his way. And after that, it was just months and months and months of harassment until finally they basically bullied my landlord through bottle keeping laws into, um, into evicting me. But the thing is, Right next door, there was a business that was very, very pally with the Gardaí, and they were completely illegal. It was an illegal body shop where they were pouring the paint down the drain. They were spraying cars, but spray, they're like the hose, the, the equipment was hooked up to a hose that just went up into the air. Um, and I, I don't know whether he was paying taxes or whatever else he was, but the Gardaí, we, we spent literally months being uh, intimidated and threatened by the Gardaí after that, you know. That's not going to imply any kind of a positive relationship with the guards going forward. Oh, it's been, oh, it's been a disaster. And try, like trust in Gardaí, we found has, 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 in, in, any, in our own research, trafficking is down to like less than 1%. I mean, we've talked to, I had one worker call me about three o'clock in the morning um, telling me, and you could hear, you could hear on the phone that somebody was screaming for help outside. And she wanted to phone the Gardaí, but she was worried that it would make this woman's circumstances worse. I mean, when we tried to explain this to the Gardaí too, they were talking about like, oh, we think they trust us. You know, I'm like, I, I wish people trusted you. I wish sex workers had somewhere to turn when we'd been raped or robbed. But I just talked to two girls who were raped by would-be clients and were afraid of turning to the police for fear of making their circumstances worse. And the Gardaí blew up at that. Like, how would it make it worse? I'm like, well, you might evict us. You might, like, well, we have to do that. Like, it was, it was kind of the, the idiocracy um, Gatorade uh, conversation. It was very circular and basically went nowhere. Mm. Yeah, it would go a long way if, if, if Gardaí had a very clear law to follow that, that did not include uh, p policing of us, you know? So basically if we had decriminalization, if it were legal to work in pairs or groups, if our clients were decriminalized, if it, if sex work were completely decriminalized, at least it wouldn't be like up to their interpretation or, Oh, look, you know, 
sure, we'll, we'll, we'll take down your notes as a victim of crime, but we'll see you tomorrow to take your client away. Or, oh, but you were working with a friend? Sorry about that. We're going to have to deal with that as well. I mean, guardi- unguarded account will tell us straight up they have to enforce this law, you know. So, I mean, you know, the, the, changing the law would go a ways, but I think it is, it's really clear here, especially compared to the North, that they're... Um, that it would take a real change and, um, you know, it, as they say as well, the culture of, of Angarda Shiakana and the, the stigma and the way that they perceive us, you know, I mean, they, they told us at that meeting um, that uh, basically they, they are just so linked in with the abolitionist org that they were just repeating their lines uh, word for word, you know, and saying that they thought that the the vast majority of uh, of us are working under coercion, and that a few, if there's the very few of us who do this willingly, so called, that get swept up into you know uh, arrests or dispersal because of it, well, so be it. Whereas in the north, uh, PS and I are there's just a much better culture around um their and their relationship with us. And one of the first things out of their mouth at a meeting the very same day was that they acknowledged that um, they're really trying to root out actual criminals, actual violence. And you know, to say criminals, we mean violence, uh, you know, and abuse. So, um, and, and that, you know, we have to work together and that, that um, sex, sex workers should not be swept up in that pursuit. That, that's an interesting approach then between the two jurisdictions but you had that meeting with guards at the start of March and that's when COVID was kind of first really setting in and and a couple of weeks just before lockdown Um, I remember I met you in Cork at an event Kate and you were telling me about that and that was when we could meet in person and and travel to events and um, live our lives again but then a few weeks after that we didn't expect to be locked down so what was the response of the guards during the actual lockdown period with sex workers? I mean, unfortunately, we, we talked to a couple of people that were um, that were taken off the streets and held overnight in jail, so-called for their own good. But it's just like, particularly for people who are working outside, it tends to be more survival street work. You know, you really don't want to be interfering with people needing their 60 bucks or whatever. You know what I mean? P- people are really up against it can be outside so um so it just shows an utter lack of understanding about what is driving people to do sex work at all and when if you're needing 60 euro whatever it is for say a substance habit or you know an an addiction locking you up in a place where you can't have access Mm -mm. to that for eight hours and then you're coming out withdrawing and and an even more desperate state very bad where you might yeah. make worse decisions because this you're so it. desperate and, and clients this know that they're you're desperate so i can't see the logic mm-hmm. in holding someone like that for their own goods there isn't any it's a disconnect you know what i mean it's not you know you know uh, the, these are these aren't things uh it, it seems that guardi are thinking about again they're just enforcement enforcement policing policing and it's just it's um yeah it's wreaks havoc and regards moving a lot of sex workers on on the street because obviously no one was meant to be out and about during lockdown and the guards had powers to you know ask people to to move even more so than they usually do so were they they actively targeting sex workers and saying you need to move on oh they were doing that pre-covid 
<laughs> so well, yeah. Yeah. that's the thing too when you when you move them along and you move us along you're not moving us somewhere safer you're just moving us to somewhere we trust less uh, we trust less and we're going to jump into cars with less time to evaluate whether the car is safe less time to negotiate things like condom usage and whatnot people are absolutely um telling us that they're going down streets they do not want to go down you know, mm -hmm. people know where they want to work and they're not able to do that right now. The pe people, you know, they have real, um, you know, calculation around where and where and how they work. You know, there's there's a reason why people have safety measures in place and 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 they have been heavy handedly out trying to arrest clients as well during during this COVID. Do you have any figures on that yet? Or they mightn't have probably come through yet, but the, the amount of clients that might have been arrested during COVID or well, no, during the lockdown? No, don't, don't, don't know. They, they are, um, and I think generally, as it ten, tends to be, it's, um, it's dispersal, dispersal, dispersal. You know what I mean? So I don't know. There, there are, now there was a, there were raids, I think, pre-COVID that um, tens of, of clients are probably waiting to go through the through the system now. So, um, but and of course, what you know, as we've been saying, what what happens is that that quiets things down on the street and indoor for for a while, and and yeah, people have to um, people have to change their boundaries, change their prices, you know, lower the 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 bar for who they see. Do you think that led to stigma from other sex workers? So some sex workers who didn't have to work for whatever reason during lockdown, did they stigmatize other sex workers who did continue to work? Actually, people have been quite uh, understanding. Obviously, you know, we can be a sparky group and uh, <laughs> and there there does tend to be a little bit of, um, uh, I don't mean to be misogynistic by saying catfighting, but you know what I, just, you know what I mean. Um, but uh, I feel like generally people really, um, there, there wasn't as much scrutiny amongst ourselves um, as, as you might be worried about. And, and that's just because people fucking get it. People need to, people need to eat. And one of the things that the Gardaí did do was uh, they sent out anonymous texts to everybody. And this was supposed to be, I mean, that, that's the thing. It, it's, it's, a, it's a good example of the disconnect. On their side, they've, they've let out this, they sent out this comforting text to let everyone know that they're being taken care of. On the other end of the text, you've got people who didn't realize they were on the Guardi's radar. Sometimes getting a, like the first time they sent out a text, they, they screwed up and sent the wrong half of a text or half of yeah. it. So people actually this thought is, it was a, just to clarify there, this is a text sent by the guards to sex yes. workers. To our yes. cell phones. Yeah, just yeah. like that. And just like that. It, it terrified uh, sex workers. I, I can imagine. Like, because all of a sudden they got this, they're like, is this a joke? Is who, who has my number? Why do they have my number? How did they and, get it? Yeah, and to know now that you're on the Guardi's list yeah. is, is, uh, is was really distressing to a lot of people we've talked to. Like, I tried to, t to tell this to our liaison officer. I spent a while on the phone with our liaison officer, breaking this down for him and saying... You, you know, and saying, I, I'm, I'm reporting back to you that people reached out to us immediately to say, what the heck is going on here? You know, and, and, um, Guardi, they kind of insisted, well, the numbers are, 
the numbers are um, public, we know what that means. That means on advertising sites. That means they're on advertising sites, you know? And so, um, and, and, and then in the same conversation, um, I, I had to break down for a liaison officer at, at the bare minimum, a reason why they wouldn't, um, they wouldn't want to be on Gardy's radar, you know? Cause I said something about, you know, seizing our, um, our in, income, you know, arresting our clients and, and, and he, literally just went oh, what do you mean by that and i said our clients you you know yeah, you that's guys, very problematic that they wouldn't get that just not connecting the dots not connecting the dots that's you know the, they are our bread and butter and they are the mouse for you now now he's the cat <laughs> but it still doesn't make a lot of sense when you have the case of Again, you know, under the current law that we have in Ireland that a lot of sex workers have to work alone because if they work together with another sex worker for safety, they run the risk of being charged uh, um, with brothel keeping. So the scare, I suppose, the risk of, of clients turning out to not be who they say they are would be quite high. And I'm, I'm sure that that's something that people are quite conscious of. So to get a random text from someone even claiming to be a guard would mm. immediately put you on high alert for that. Well, I mean, Gardy are clients too, and then you've got also people pretending to be Gardy, threatening people are trying to use like lying to the sex worker and telling us that they're Gardy to basically bully us into seeing them or discounted services or free services. That's been going on since forever. So you've got that on top of the Gardy's mystery texts. Like you yeah. would think that there there would just be a little bit more forethought in into that, um yeah. And, and speaking of the um, I suppose that situation with clients. I know, okay, we, you've been on um my other podcast, Glow West, and we were speaking mm. about the rates of the rise of violence um that sex workers experienced since this law yeah. came in, and yeah. I think the stats I had were up to t- possibly two thousand nineteen. I think, but you were saying violent attacks were still ongoing on quite a regular basis even during lockdown mm-hmm. yes and and you know and and to, to say we do you know we are in contact with our liaison officers we're you know we are aware they also want to catch the baddies you know what i mean i mean that of course that is true you know but um attacks have still been happening you know and so we it's just this strange relationship, you know, because, you know, in fairness to them, they will call us and, and, and let us know, you know, where things are at. Can you put out a message to, to people, be careful in this area, et cetera. And they'll have details on the person, but can't give them to us. You know what I mean? And it's just like, um, it's just like, okay, I guess we'll just tell, you know, tell people and, all of D2 to just be more careful than, than usual. And it's just like, and, and they're like, Oh, look, you know, the details are going to come out in the, cause this guy is on bail. The details will come out in, um, in the newspaper and then you can know. And it's just like, Oh, surely, surely the sex worker organization, you know, sure to find out the same time as the general public from a newspaper article. I mean, something is broken. It's, you know, yeah. something is broken. If it's not interfering with a case, you know, how is it that the, that the, that the newspapers will get the news before us who are who, who's asking to disseminate word about a, a dangerous man? 
I think there was an example of that, wasn't there? Just, um, I think it was either during lockdown or just after it had been lifted that there there was a newspaper article about a guy who had targeted sex workers previously yeah. and was yeah. known to be quite violent and quite high risk was back in the area and the guards had put out this public statement. But obviously you, you didn't get the heads up on that. No, and again, it, you know, it resulted in a long conversation with... Um, with her liaison to just say, listen, cause I, you, you know, that evening I was talking to a worker who's headed that direction that night. You know what I mean? I mean, this, that's serious stuff. You know what I mean? We should have been called if they were all calling each other. Um, we should have been, we should have been one of those phone calls. I was out on the street talking to workers that night as I generally am. And, and that's, I suppose, the, the reality of it as well. Um, talk me through the media responses. I know you you, you did a little bit of outreach work. You, you did some um, media campaigns. You had your, I suppose, a press release over introducing, introducing the harm reduction leaflet. But what has the media response generally been like for sex workers during COVID lockdown? I mean, listen, it's it's better than than it's been uh, in the past, I suppose, like to look at everything now, now that we're at this three year review mark, this governmental review of the law. um, It's a little bit encouraging that they're that our voices are louder um, than they were sort of able to be three years ago. I, I think it was it was a bit frustrating for us, I think that the the sort of DOJ refusal for funding, explicitly based on this this ideology, um, that should be alarming to people. You know, we tried to get on the uh, NFET. Am I saying it right? NPHET committee for vulnerable people. Yeah, yeah. And um, and were explicitly refused as well. But saying that they take their call from the turn off the red light campaign and it's just like we are the <laughs> we are the people in this very vulnerable group group you know we are the laborers that do more intimate labor than anybody in society are you fucking joking me you know get us at the table how do your thoughts on that well that's the thing i mean they're still willing to listen to the people who have literally destroyed our place on the, on the trafficking in persons report that the laws have, in, have driven our HIV rates at the high, as, like the whole world's HIV rates are generally going down. Ours are going up and up and up. And this is why. And there still seems to be a tendency to follow the, um, the, the people who brought about this disastrous campaign. And then to hear pretty recently that they're allowing one of the NGOs that basically spearheaded uh, Toro turn off the red light to have their own direct provision centers is terrifying considering their history with the Magdalen Laundry. So, I mean, it, it feels like an, on one side, like you talk to Irish youth and there's, there's such a, a positive feeling of progress and moving forward. And then you look at our government who, who are basically uh, okaying tenements with a marketing spin and Magdalen Laundry's 2020 style. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a little bit disconcerting, but uh, mm. they're, they're, you know, it's it, I'm I'm curious. Of course, wait, we're all waiting with bated breath to see how this review turns out. But uh, I am optimistic. The fact that they 
extended the deadline twice gives me pause for hope. But um, we'll, we'll see. Like th th that's the thing. Nothing nothing happens without a fight, and so we've we've been fighting. <laughs> so I think it's going to be really important in this phase that um, that we sort of keep um, keep keep the foot on it, basically. Um, because in the terms of reference, they listed out that there would be this, you know, there would be this time period for public for public submissions, but then that the review process was also to include, and they list them out, one-on-ones, workshops, roundtables. So we have been trying every avenue that we can, um, emailing, writing letters, having other, you know, politicians do so, making phone calls to find out, okay, where are we at here with this, uh, with this phase of the review process? Um, you have listed these meetings. How do we sign up? And it's just um, it's just crickets. So it'll be really important right now for for because um, because we're left in the dark completely. She, you know, um, Maura Butler. We know that she is tasked with something really big and serious, and I and I, and I do think that there's a genuine desire for her to do to, from herself to do well there. But you know, is she just to go up the mountain and and come back down with with results? I mean, so so for all of us, for our allies that can that can say as well, that can write into Helen McEntee, that can write into Maura Butler. I mean, I wonder if this this address is still open at all you know but for people to say what's next so this is for anyone who wasn't sure that the the current law was around sex work was introduced in 2017 and that was the mm -hmm. law that criminalizes the buyer and allegedly doesn't criminalize the sex worker and we know from talking to yourselves the sex workers are still getting arrested and very few clients have actually been arrested um, and th this review was promised. You, you guys fought to get that review added into this legislation and that's come up now. But I think you said, I, I saw a media piece where you said that you were blindsided by the announcement of this review and it was given very little time. Mm -hmm. um, it was, I, I think it was originally scheduled to end in the mid-August and then it, then it did get extended. But the fact that they think that they could announce a review, which is obviously going to take a fair bit of submission. And again, if you're trying to talk to sex workers and contact them and prepare responses to be blindsided and given very little time, doesn't seem to be a fair playing field or a level playing field, should I say? No. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> you're right. And I think that there was a governmental, um, <clears throat> excuse me, survey on the website as well and it was the the language of it was not only confusing but um i find it i found it hard to decipher what they're mm -hmm. actually saying on it so i can imagine someone who has like you know poor literacy skills or english maybe isn't their first language i mean if you looked up if you looked up um just 7a because they don't specify in the first question that it's 7a from section 25 of the of the act so if you just look up 7a um and i put it into google if you put it in um criminal law sexual offenses 7a or something what comes up is about uh sex with a child it's yeah. from a totally different section and it's just like hold on a second if you know what i mean for people that only people that are very in group will know what they're referring to. If you just put that into Google, you would think the whole premise of the survey was based on uh, sex with a child. Yeah, and that's not something anybody decent is going to advocate for. It kind of buys into the whole toral mindset, though. So, like, but don't you want women to be protected? Well, then vote here, then support this. 
um, for, for people to go in. Sure, it, it, who doesn't want children to be safe, you know? And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's very, very misleading. A lot of the language is very confusing. I mean, the, the survey could have at least provided the relevant bits of language for anybody who wanted to do the survey. Mm-hmm. Was it hard to mobilize sex workers um, to complete the study? Because again, we were just coming out of lockdown. You know, like it's a global pandemic. They're still on. Everyone has a lot of things on their minds. So to mobilize everyone and, and even make them aware, because I'm sure some people weren't aware that the review was going on if you hadn't paid attention to the media or whatever. Um, was it difficult to get everyone to get their responses in on time? I mean, in general, yes, <laughs> but um, there, but there was there were quite a few people actually who who rallied and got stuff in, which is really wonderful. I mean, we've been doing virtual drop-ins uh, throughout this. Now we've started doing a workers' committee as well, so that people can come and feed in in more detail to the to the work of Sway and find out about what Sway is doing. Because we're aware sometimes that. Um, <clears throat> we're doing so much work sort of behind the scenes, if you will. And so people aren't aware of the kinds of um, where we're agitating and how, you know, and what pots we have on the bowl, all all the metaphors. Um, But um, so, so yeah, I mean, sex workers, again, like, you know, to not recognize that this is an economic activity, that people's, that this is people's job for a lot of sex workers there, you know, because there is frankly so much just bullshit around it, challenges around being a sex worker society, they just kind of want to do their little work and get on with it. You know, it does take a certain kind of appetite disposition or, you know, to, to engage in, um, in activism, if you will, and advocating. Don't you think, Addy? It does, and you know that's the thing. The stigma in Ireland that basically affects our mental health um, mm. rates and our mental health services and everything else waters down towards sex workers too. So it's it's an uphill battle, and it's kind of frustrating to know that basically the same church who's responsible for pushing the law in is also responsible for that stigma. You know, but there was a really good response internationally to sex workers all around the world. I mean, because you've got various countries like Scotland's currently considering bringing in the same disastrous law. Yeah. Um, So sex workers all around the world, of course, they're paying a lot of attention to what's happening here because for us, for them, it's ideology. For them, it's 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 moral policing. But for us, it's it's literally life or death. You know, so so we are paying attention to this stuff. You know, a lot of us don't have any other options. You know, you're talking about your advocacy work and activism. And there is obviously certain levels of privilege with that. That You know, you have the time and the capacity and the skills and communication skills. But if these people are reviewing this law to see what the reality is of life under this law, how are the voices of those who are in heavy substance abuse in homeless services, so they've no proper fixed abode, they're very transient, you know, with, with their nature of things, they, they may be in, you know, high levels of crisis. So how can we make sure that the voices of those people are actually really heard in in this debate? Or not even I mean, a debate, sway, but sway review. Is, <clears throat> yeah, sway is, sway is tasked with it a lot right now, you know. So we're doing um, outreach, we have an outreach uh, program and you know, we're on the street talking to people. We've been um, 
we've had our outreach worker um, in prison a bit talking to people as well. So, you know, once again, it's we're tasked with gathering the information ourselves and, and, and passing it along. So so there are research um, um there is research underway. There's an outreach uh, program underway as well. So, um, sorry, can I can I tag tag back just one point to say about what Addy was saying? There? Is that yeah. okay, Kelly? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it just just occurred to me. I think it's interesting. There was that article that um, that you passed along about the Japanese woman who runs a business, some sort of sex business in Japan, and how she's suing the state for not um, including. Um, you know, resources for sex workers at this time, um, monies. And I think it's so interesting that because um, from what I understand, that kind of work is is illegal in Japan. But again, from what I understand, I think because Japan has not had the sort of Christian oppression that brings the ideology, they're so much more able to to tackle um, and and um, and interact with uh, the sex industry there than they are than we are someplace here you know that sometimes it's not even the law but the stigma that is is creating more of a barrier for us and and i and i, I agree with you adi i think that that has a lot to do with the, the, the church's stronghold for so long so sorry to just flip us back there no for no a no, no no a, oh. a very relevant point because again yeah. you know the, the cultural attitudes really do impact legislation and you know mm. as much as they shouldn't we should be as objective as possible but again that that isn't always the case um i I suppose to wrap things up a little bit what lessons can you say that we might have learned from this lockdown because there may be a chance that we're going into another lockdown but even if we weren't what lessons can we learn about the experience of sex workers going forward to ensure that we do build a society where sex workers are safer where they're less stigmatized where they have increased access to services and where perhaps we might work towards a harm reduction model rather than an ideological model Mm. go on Addy. yeah you look right (laughs) tackle the the inequalities and the, the poverty that drive us here i mean if our government can't tackle the housing situation then who's supposed to whose job is it because if you make housing cheaper, you've already made a situation, or make it affordable, you've created a situation where people are already more secure and less likely to have to engage in in in, uh, in sex work. Make education, third-level education, accessible for sex workers. Um, there's a lot of things they can do that provide the resources, provide us, provide childcare. I mean, Ireland forced us to have babies for long enough. You, you know, provide some damn childcare. You know, um, provide the resources because when you cut off the income, you've got starvation and devastation. You know, it's a, it's kind of a no-brainer, really. You made a good point too with the, um, with getting the voices of the of the marginalized. So that's one of the things that basically drove me into doing research, which is what I'm now doing. But I wanted to get those voices because the first time this review the review or the, the, when the law was coming in all ireland listened to was the voices of really the women who brought this law in middle class church connected rich white women and the mountains of evidence because there's no evidence supporting this i mean the, the, the evidence that they used to support this was literally paid for by magdalen order nuns it was paid for by 
Immigrant Council Ireland in the foreword is from a Magdalen Order nun who's basically saying, ah, well, it's kind of hard to tell the difference between trafficking and sex work, so why bother? And it's, uh, it, it, it is, I don't know, it's a sign of hope at least that, that they're accepting submissions. But we have, and I know some, of course, you're not going to get the voices of most marginalized, and that's the thing that these systems don't really take into account. You know that that those people, but I don't think they're meant to because this is this was never this law was never put through with with the the well-being of the most vulnerable in mind. Clearly, because the first step would have been asking them what they need, rather than deciding for them and ignoring all of the evidence. You know, so and that's a very good point. There's a, there's been a lot of submissions from say the likes of Amnesty International, but they mm-hmm. they made a submission at when this law was first being introduced and you know prov- provided evidence and, and you know of research done with actual sex workers the people at the heart of this debate and that seemed to have been ignored so do you have, do you have mm-hmm. faith that their submission this time around will be listened to i hope i mean that's the thing like you'll see the government take a lot of credit for stuff like the gender recognition act for gay marriage for they being appealed they didn't do it who was the people uh, getting sick of it, and that's the, that's the thing too. Like the reason sex workers have really been targeted in this, and, and under the guise of human trafficking, when we know most human trafficking just isn't sex workers, and even if it was, why are you singling out consensual sex workers with baloney statistics? So that's the thing. When, when we're talking to the Gardaí. They were quoting back to us, turn off the red light statistics, that 90% of sex workers are trafficked, 10% are happy hookers. But there's literally no way to get those numbers because that would require, like you were just saying, how do you get the, the voices of the most marginalized? So that would require all of these people to stand up and be counted because even if every, there was no stigma and everybody could stand up and be counted, you still would not be able to count everybody. You'd have more accurate statistics but we're in a country where there's less than a handful of sex workers willing to stand up. And for some of it, like in my case, I've already lost everything. I've got no family. I'm not close to, I'm not close to my children and my wife, but I don't have family support. I lost you know, my, my home and my business through the Gardaí, you know, uh, we, we stand to risk a lot, you know, there's a terrible price for standing up. Yeah. I think what is very clear is that, um, Shocker, there will always be a sex industry. Nowhere in the world is there um, not a sex industry. You know, if a, a global pandemic could not um, could not stop people from wanting to to uh, buy sex or, um, you know, people needing to, to sell sex, then we need to decide how we're going to keep these people as safe as possible. So that's that's been a massive lesson for us, you know, and also this um, this very um, overt description from the government of of why they're excluding us and the promise that they will continue to uh, because they refuse to recognize that sex work is an economic activity. That's a massive stumbling block for us and for people to um, to not seem to understand that what we are advocating for is harm reduction policy. You know, we want to work with people who are concerned about people being vulnerable in the sex industry or being there that don't want to be with their there. Uh, we want to work with those people towards uh, providing real alternatives and, and towards, as we've been talking about, sort of like 
getting a bit more balance in terms of just this, like economic disparity that's just getting worse and worse and worse. So we want to work with those people. Meanwhile, you need to let sex workers tell you about what we need um, to, to stay safe on a day-to-day basis while we still have to do this work. So it just has heightened this, what we already knew about our, about our reality here. It's laid it painfully bare. And I think, yeah, it's not like it's an unreasonable demand to be asked to be consulted about the work that you're doing and, and supporting other people in doing. So um, absolutely not unreasonable. Um, listen, thank you both so much for, for your time thank today. You, um, thank you, Just diving in into that. It's really good to have experts and people with actual lived experience to talk about sex work and, and to kind of break through the conversation of ideology and actually look at reality. So I really appreciate your time there and hopefully going into another lockdown, which hopefully we won't, but that we will hopefully have learned some of the lessons around sex workers' experiences going forward. So yeah, thank you both so much. And what's the address for Sway if people want to hop over there? The website you can find us on is sexworkersallianceireland.org. Brilliant. And then on that website as well, there's a list of legal rights for sex workers and resources and information. Safety as well. tips and all that good stuff. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, thank you both so much again for your time. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in. I really appreciate your time and exploring this aspect of life during COVID. If you like, you can um, pop over to Apple and rate and review. We're on Spotify or if you want to support the podcast, it's we're on Patreon and it's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack and you can follow the podcast on twitter a hashtag the covid care podcast thanks so much for listening and i'll talk to you next week bye